and thanks for listening to Macmillan Education's Advancing Learning Podcast with Will Rickson and Harry Waters. For more training materials, webinars, articles and resources, pop on to macmillanenglish.com slash A-L-A-P, but enjoy the show first. Welcome to our first episode. Woohoo! I'm Will Rickson, as you just heard at the beginning part just then, I think. I'm joined by someone called Julia. No, not Julia. I'm not Julia. I'm actually called Harry. Harry Waters. Oh, yes. That's and it's right. a Hello, pleasure to be here with you, Will. You too, Hazza. Nice to see you, mate. First and podcast. Nice first podcast. First ever for us together. Fingers crossed it goes all right. I mean, we're just we're, we're very much relying on our sort of general conversational repartee. And of course, our extensive background knowledge in education. Exactly. How long have you been teaching for, Harry? Since which century did you start? Oh, I actually, I did start this, this millennium. Um, I started right. teaching in 2007. Wow. Yeah. I started in 2011, actually not like years and years ago, not sort of decades ago. No, just decade ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Decade and a bit ago, I started. Yeah. yeah. I started yeah. just over a decade and a half ago. So yeah, yeah, just over a decade and a half. Wow. Yeah. It's been just a long time. It. I love it. I love it. I, I can't get enough of it. And no matter how my my role evolves, no matter what changes, you know, I've gone through many different changes. I wear many different hats, both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, but it's still teaching that I always I always come back to teaching. I, well, I what do you love it. about it? What do you love about teaching? Where's where's your heart at when you're doing it? What do you mean? I just love being able to help people. Basically, I love you know, that core value as a teacher that you have as wanting to help people, wanting to help people improve, wanting to help people grow. And no matter how the job changes, no matter how it's evolved throughout the year, that core value as a teacher, I don't think can ever change. I don't think will ever change that what we want to do is help people. Um, We want to help people improve. We want to help people grow. How we want to help people, that's definitely changed along the way on my journey. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, for sure. And I think it's changed for a lot of teachers as well throughout the last millennia, obviously. But for me, it's difficult because that's happened to me, of course, as well. It happens to everybody. But it's difficult for me to distinguish between whether that's whether the classroom has changed because my scenario circumstance and where I've been teaching and what I've been teaching and where I've been on my own personal sort of teaching journey has gone versus anything external to me. Has ELT changed dramatically in that time? I I don't, I think there are a few things. We're going to talk about that in this first episode. We'll talk about how ELT has changed outside of a teacher, but it's hard to tell for me um, whether it's been that I've been teaching in a different school and just different groups of students and different collectives um in different environments or is something bigger well i think there's obviously the there's both aspects there i know for me my personal journey has massively affected my teaching journey i know the way i've taught has changed a lot because of what i am interested in what i am focused on and the impacts that i've seen i can have on students so when I started teaching many years ago, my first ever lesson was actually about bridges. My second ever lesson was about shoes because, well, I like bridges and Northampton, where I'm from, 
was a shoe town. So what do you mean it was a shoe town? You mean like what sort of walking, talking shoes? Yeah, exactly that. But not that in any way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> All right. There were no, a lot of shoe factories and shoe museums. Um, yeah. In fact, most of the, the the boots worn during the Second World War were made in in Northampton. Oh so wow! There aren't as many factories, shoe factories, there anymore. There are now a lot of flats converted from factories. But of course, um, there are still a few. Uh, so that right heavily influenced my my first first literally, ever lessons. Quite quite literally, your first lessons, yeah, was was your physical where where you were living at the time. Yeah, exactly. Well, where I, I was mean, from. So my first couple of lessons were a bit different to that. I was in Indonesia, and obviously it was during the, the not obviously, but my first few lessons were during the TEFL course that I was doing out there. That sort of the one month that we all do at some point, and uh, it was a very sort of. You know, we planned it for for weeks and months. Yeah. This lesson, you know, it was it was carved out of a rock. This first lesson, so there was nothing. There was no part of me, I think, in that lesson. It was just so academic and mathematical. There was no real room for because it was. I was getting observed. That's really hardcore as well with your first teaching. You're not just it really teaching, is. You, you know, because as soon as you get out of that course and you start teaching, I found it so liberating that I wasn't being watched. Anyway, sorry, going back to the. The actual cause. I was doing mine and I did my first grammar lesson was on the second conditional. And this was before Beyonce had released um, If I Were a Boy. So I couldn't use that song in my <laughs> what lesson. What if she hadn't? What if she hadn't? Well, the teachers nowadays would be would be stuck without a song. So what I actually did, I couldn't find a, an online recording of If I Were a Bell from the, the hit musical Guys and Dolls. So I stood at the front of my class during my my one month intensive TEFL course, and I sang the song "If I Were a Bell" um, from Guys and Dolls. So yeah, that, that is that. Like, sorry, that's a song from Guys and Dolls, is it? If I is, were a yeah. bell, yeah. If I were a bell, what what's the end of that conditional? Uh, if I were a bell, I'd be ringing. If I were a bell, I'd be ringing. Very nice. Yeah, I've never heard. I've never heard of it. Probably well, should have done, but I haven't. There you go. There's there's a bit of homework for everybody. Um, new second conditional song. Check out Guys and Dolls, If I Were a Bell. Thanks, and man. I think this also nicely encapsulates different like kinds of teachers that we have here. So you have the the TEFL teachers, like the way we started our, our ELT, our TEFL career, was with a one-month intensive course. You know, we, we started out with a one-month intensive course and then we went into teaching and really improved and, and applied our trade and learned on the job. I think like with most teachers, we learn on the job. There's also other types of ELT teachers that are sometimes forgotten in the conversation, despite the fact they make up probably 90% of the profession. Well, hold on, hold on, pause a second there. We need to actually introduce what we're talking about. Harry, we're segueing so beautifully into the intended topic of today's episode that I think we should actually take stock and realise where this conversation has reached at this point. Let's do that. Put a little barrier in there and go, this is what the episode is about today. So, yeah, so the episode today, we're talking about to start off this advancing learning podcast series is the role of a te- an ELT teacher now. What is the role of an ELT teacher today in what is now 2023? You might be listening to this in 2054, you know, having been referred to in some academic text down the line. 
Yeah, or they've discovered time travel and they're actually listening to it in 2011. Wow, the year that I started teaching, that would be weird, wouldn't it? Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, the um, role of an ELT teacher, I think, again, as, as I started to mention before, looking at the different, and I'm saying this in inverted commas, the different types of ELT teacher and the different types of ELT institutions, it's really important to look at that before we jump into other areas of it. What do you think? Yeah, Will? for sure, for sure. I mean, because, I mean, I, I don't know about you, I've had various different perspectives on that now. When I first started, all I knew was private language schools um, in countries where English is not the first language. Uh, and I, I sort of slowly developed a network of mates and other staff rooms around the world because I was working at a school that's kind of interconnected a bit. Um, and so I kind of only knew the private language school world and within that, I kind of only knew the people in a similar situation to me when I was backpacking, realised that I could teach to stay out there, and then very quickly realised that it's an absolutely amazing and fulfilling job to have. Yeah, and I think that is is often the, the image that, particularly within countries like the UK, within the USA, Australia, um, within those countries, there's often the view that that is the ELT teacher, that is the model of it. It's a backpacker who wants to travel. So they do this one month course and then they travel and then they go on to get, and I'm doing inverted commas again, a real job. Whereas it goes a long way beyond that. You know, I, I even I meet people here in Seville and I speak to them. I say, oh, so what do you do? And they say, well, I'm just a teacher. And it really irks me that phrase mm. to be just a teacher. You know, you're yeah. not just a teacher. Number one you are a teacher. Number two, being a teacher is way more than that. So we have the the backpacker teachers, the private language school teachers, but then we also have the teachers who are in a school teaching mm -hmm. English as a, as a second language, as an additional language, as a foreign language. They are in their schools doing this on a day-to-day -day basis. So yeah. They are not this this archetypal vision that we have of a backpacker who's gone and studied for a month, but these are the, the core of, of English language learning. And they've spent years and years studying, you know, first studying English, then studying teaching, and they've, you know, they've mastered the art of it. And the great thing about English as a second foreign additional language is it has such a huge global spread it really is a truly international subject it covers every corner of the globe which i know globes don't actually have corners um but it, it spreads across no. the entire planet and it is a truly universal subject and it has such massive potential to reach so many different people and the skills of an ELT teacher that we impart on our students, I think are absolutely key. And I think that they are changing. Absolutely. So you've got, I think, let's split it into a couple of different things here. So talking about skills, I mean, we've got soft skills and hard skills. And also I think we've got soft and hard technology, which mm -hmm. we can go on later, which is a whole different set of skills, I think. But also soft and hard skills, you've got hard skills being what you need to be a good teacher. What do you need? You need to have good interpersonal skills. Maybe you need to be able to teach this particular grammar point. You need to be good at portraying a particular grammatical structure on the board or being good at showing vocabulary in various categories within a vocabulary set, for example. You and making sure the students understand those core things that they need 
these these core tools to a language you know that we need to be able to impart these things on you know they need to learn vocabulary they need to be able to use grammar whether you teach it for, as prescribed grammar or whether you teach it in another way is is a whole another subject but you need to be able to get this knowledge from your brain into their brain or you yeah. need to get they need to be able to find the knowledge and you need to be able to help them acquire that knowledge yeah Those and the and, and the skills that are all wrapped up with that as well i think in addition to the knowledge it's helping them to sort of curate and foster these skills and again the soft and hard skills but anyway so going back to the soft skills of a teacher there's all these other things coming out of the woodwork i mean it's 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 always been there i'm sure in some shape or form it just maybe hasn't been expressed explicitly that teachers can potentially explore things like social emotional learning in the classroom and helping a student finding their sort of individual nature mm-hmm. uh, and finding their own place in the world for you know just just to give a couple of examples of what a soft skill is what i think what we're talking about here and yeah. that's not taught in any self of course no no exactly and and i i remember about 10 years ago i was working at our language academy and they started to talk about the idea of emotional intelligence and at the time that was an aspect of of teaching that was completely foreign to me i mean it was an it was an aspect of life that was pretty much foreign to me at the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um and how important it was for us to to use the time in our class to you know develop our own emotional intelligence but also help our students develop their emotional intelligence and these are things that go they're way beyond the course book these are not things that you know you're not going to generally open a, a a course book and it's it's not going to teach you how to do that like you say in your in your teacher training courses it, you you're not going to get taught how to do that it's not high on the agenda usually no but i think one one thing that has never been right at the top but it's always been explicitly at least talked about in these courses from my experience is building a rapport with students and having a relationship that's probably the beginning of all of this isn't it it's, it's SEL and emotional intelligence and understanding the good and bad emotions that a student might feel and how to react to that happens a bit further down the line. But the beginning of that, I think, is when you finish your course and you realise you're in a room full of personalities, uh, of, of, of individual people who have got their own fears and passions that you need to sort of think about and use to your advantage to, in order to build a relationship with them. And that is, you know, that's that's not really the sort of thing that you can really teach is it actually i suppose that's a question is that something you can teach can you teach someone to build a rapport you can give people tools to help them build a rapport um i remember when i started teacher training for for the first time and my director at the time said you know i, I was a bit nervous about doing these these teacher training sessions and she said oh just teach them to teach like you do and i just kind of thought well the way i teach is very much suited to my personality. I yeah. you know it's the way I am. I am very much obsessed with you know building rapport and and knowing my students and getting to know my students. So it was okay. trying to help find those tools. Yeah. However, I think there is another side to that coin Harry. I think yeah, it's down to the personality and down to how you as a person and your character and your traits within your character does these things but i think if you were to zoom in on for example you enough into a classroom and then did that with 20 other people that are also really good at building rapport there's going to be some commonalities there i think that that, yeah. that objectively you could teach 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, what, and that's what exactly what I did. I stopped and I actually recorded myself to see the different things that I did in the lessons and watch back. And, and they were those simple things like asking your students questions, actually listening and responding. And then, you know, going back at a later date and referring back to those answers. So, you know, that idea of building rapport and, um, and being there for them and just basically being somebody that they can trust and they can come to and, I think that's another thing that that's been there forever with teachers. Uh, it's been there forever, you know, to to be that person of trust and whatever. But I think it's it's becoming more and more important, you know, with the the raising awareness of mental health. It's not something that has been considered a lot in the past. You know, our students' well being, our students' mental well being. Are we giving them too much homework? Are we putting them under too much stress? I know with the Spanish education system. That's not the case, you know, that they, they just let they put them under as much stress as possible, it seems, you know, with six year olds doing exams and, and losing sleep over doing their exams. Um, and I think it's something that has developed now. And there's a lot of work being done with it within ELT. You know, there are publishers who are giving training courses on doing this. There are aspects of this this well-being, our students well-being that are really actually being considered at last. Mm-hmm. Now, even within the sustainable development goals, something I talk about a lot, number three is good health and well-being. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly focused on physical well-being. And this was, they were written in 2015. So that's wow. eight years ago. Wow. If they were written now... And that's the UN as well. That's the UN. Exactly. If that was written now, I know for sure there would be a lot, a much bigger focus on our students' mental well-being and not over, you know... Number one, putting too much pressure on them. You know, there are so many exams out there. There's so much homework. So I think ELT teachers have developed a lot in that respect. And that kind of soft skill has become super important as well of caring about your students' mental well-being. Okay, so to again, I'm going to put another side to that coin into the fray here, Harry. So you've got, yeah, of course, looking after students mental health is paramount. I don't think that's actually been a recent thing. I think that's probably been in the minds of everybody for a long time. Um, But maybe it's sort of having a bit more of a headline at the moment. However, I'm a governor at my local primary school. And so I sort of see these really interesting conversations between the, there's a head teacher, there's a principal, there's another teacher, a couple of teachers in the room, as well as just various other personalities and people from various places in the community. And you get to see where the priorities are. And they had this new sort of development plan for their school. Uh, and part of it was to help the well-being of, of, the, of the student body and make sure that their sort of the general mental health and their happiness and contentedness with the school is 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 good. It's high. Firstly, with that, I mean, just one small point to make here is that's got to be measured somehow. So you've got mm-hmm. to objectify this mental well-being of your student body and how, how on earth do you do that? But the flip side of that, of that development plan, it had a person assigned to each of these sort of micro sort of sub-objectives. And it had these this whole column with these initials. And I said, who are these initials in here? Some of them said all staff. Some of them said all teaching staff. And, and most of them were these initials. And I said, who are, who are these people? And they said, they're, they're the teachers. They're, the teachers are going to be doing this. Okay, so, 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 so the teachers are doing all of this. Yeah. And have you taken into account the well-being of the teaching body um, and sort of how, how they are managing this workload, this additional workload on top of from what I gather to be pretty big already. Uh, and they, they had some decent responses. Like, you know, some teachers are trying to get to the next level in their teaching. So they get a higher pay, they get to a higher pay bracket as a teacher 
and they need to do certain CPD things to, in order to get there. But still, the well-being of the students is essentially just being passed on to the mental bad being. What do you say? I don't know. The, 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 to the detriment of the mental well-being of the teachers? Exactly. Yeah, because it, it, it does add an awful lot more. And that's one thing that I've... I've really enjoyed learning in recent years, like myself, um, learning from some some wonderful um, other teachers and trainers. Um, Vanessa Hartson Walker, for example, who, who who lives in Rome, who I've worked with on previous projects, got me onto mindfulness. And I think when it comes to younger learners, I find it incredibly useful um, in the classroom to to practice mindfulness practices, even just you know a five minute meditation activity or even just paying attention to the moment that they're in and i found it's really helped my students with their concentration because something i've noticed again within my lessons over the last 15 years is students concentration is waning you know it's but also right. teachers concentration is waning as well so these moments of these mindful moments can really help kind of bring things in and calm things down and and again it it will help with their well-being in in the long term but teaching people to be able to do this and it's really helped with mine as well like last night i'm going to be honest i couldn't sleep well i'm not sure if i was nervous or excited about about this recording but i couldn't sleep and i was awake till maybe four in the morning um oh, i know no. you can't see it oh well, it's excitement but it was good because i went Harry, there. how do you look so splendid after <laughs> having had only a few hours sleep uh listeners you can't see harry but he looks as splendid as he always does well i, I don't know I, i'm guessing those three hours sleep really helped but that was it in the end at the end i i just stopped and i i, I moved to another room and i um i did a, a full body scan which is a mindfulness activity okay and i was out like a light um, wow. I don't think it was helped by the fact last night was the first night here in Spain um, that we we had a duvet on the bed. Wow. Um, okay. So yeah, I okay. was also. A well, bit that more... must have been nice though, having a duvet. I do like a good duvet when it's a bit nips. Yeah, but it wasn't cold enough to put the duvet on yet, so I think I was also a bit too warm. So there were all of these aspects, but swing the sw- swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Really, exactly. You know, having that duvet, tool, it's a bit hot, a bit not. Yeah, having that tool of being able to go to that and as ELT teachers, being more aware of mental well-being, being more aware of these mindfulness practices. I think that's one of the biggest evolutionary things that have happened within ELT and seeing it being practiced around the world for me is absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. No, I completely agree. I mean, in this, in my role as teacher training manager, it's so interesting to see the, we get to see sort of the numbers of people that are interested in these things. And it's, it's huge. If we do, we had a webinar last year. Uh, it was a wonderful webinar. Lila Acosta Sandal and Lorena Pember. It was called the Wellness Day. Which I remember. You can, still, you can still watch if you want to. It's on macmillanenglish.com. And loads of people wanted to come. It was a really popular session. And I was a bit worried that wellness might sound a little bit sort of, are you going to teach us, tell us where to go for a sort of a massage retreat or something <laughs> or some kind of, do you know what I mean? Like a sauna, like in, in the forest kind of thing. But it wasn't it, it wasn't seen like that. And I, I think that, um, yeah, it was really it was picked up really nicely. Anyway, so before we finish, we've got one more thing I want to talk about. So still talking about the role of an ELT teacher today. Uh, we've got one thing that we haven't spoken about, which is technology in its in its various forms. So we've got soft technology and we've got what's the opposite of soft? Hard. Hard technology. Uh, so we've got so when we're talking about hard technology, I'm talking things like 
I know this is going to sound ridiculous. An IWB, an international, an international whiteboard, interactive. No, no, international <laughs> an, whiteboard, an international whiteboard. I meant that, and interactive whiteboards, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, those as well. And then we've got the use of smartphones in class, and and those sort of the various questions that come up with hard hard tech, and then we've got the soft tech. But anyway, let's talk about hard tech first. Uh, the role of an ELT teacher now, Harry, go. I think this massively depends on where the teacher is. Uh, I know here in Spain, I know in um, certainly in the UK, in, in Italy, in, in a lot of places, there is a, a lot of this this hard tech and, and a big reliance on on the interactive whiteboards and people making huge strides in their teaching and and adding wonderful, wonderful strings to their bow with with this technology. However, on the flip side of that, I have a I have a training course. Uh, I, I teach some some teachers in in Venezuela, and the current module we're talking about is integrating ICT in the classroom. And okay, and we were talking about evaluating different websites and different ideas. And one of the the course participants said, "At the moment, we don't have enough chairs and tables for our students, so I'm not sure how we're going to get computers." I think particularly in the private language sector, there's usually a lot of, of hard technology. But we also do need to, to remember that not everywhere has the same access to technology. Not everywhere has the same level of technology. And, and, and when we looked at that, we looked even closer to it, like the different apps that could be used. You know, there's, a, there's a loads of wonderful stuff online, you know, loads of great things about Kahoot and Nearpod. Um, but these are like very data heavy. So the teachers were saying, you know, I can't send that as homework to my students because it will use all of the data on their phone. So they won't yeah. do it. Um, yeah. So there was, again, that aspect of looking and it was almost like looking back kind of 10 years technology wise and and looking at those fantastic gap fill activities we used to have that we used to find online that don't aren't data heavy and they could sit down and they could use those with right, their students, right. they could send those home as well. So I think again, we need to look at a teacher's situation when we look at the the level of technology they have and also the comfort they have using it. I love using technology in my classes. I think it's brilliant and I've learned yeah. so much and students find it very engaging and it can be so important. But it is also important to be able to switch the interactive whiteboard off and still use those hardcore old skills that we had yeah, actually writing on a board. Definitely. I, I couldn't agree more. One of the hardest things is for a teacher that perhaps was born and bred in pre-smartphones, pre-international whiteboards. I love that, and international whiteboards. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Uh, but they were born in a world where... They, it was basically a very organic space where they have a pen and a paper and a blackboard and a, and a piece of chalk and a textbook. And it's a really important and I think probably really difficult for a teacher to move from that and really genuinely embrace what digital has to offer uh, yeah. in the classroom because because it's not something they know. And I think as as I feel I'm getting older, I feel I can start to really sympathise with people who are further on in their career than I am who have sort of grown up and I'm sort of going back to where I was 10 years ago teaching. And I'm already starting to have these creeping feelings of don't think I want to try many new things because I, I really like what I do and I think it worked and I don't really want to move on. There, there's a real risk, isn't there, that you're missing out on, 
as you said, the motivation some of these LMSs have and the and the actual apps themselves have for students is just magnificent, isn't it? You know, going back to 2020, I say it lightly, obviously, um, something happened in 2020, something massive happened in 2020. And I think that was a huge moment for technology in the classroom because it also changed the classroom. Suddenly the classroom wasn't just, you know, bricks and mortar. Suddenly the classroom was technology. Now, yes, of course, there had been online classes before the pandemic. We all know that that was the case. But suddenly every classroom was online. And there were a lot of those more old school teachers that that were suddenly left behind thinking, what even is Zoom? And that moment was was enormous as well, because I think it really shifted everybody's view towards these wonderful um, opportunities we have in the classroom to use technology. But it also led a lot of teachers to maybe over rely on this technology and striking that balance between technology and again here come my my bunny is the real world and and that is one of the biggest difficulties that the teachers have now and not you know spending the class jumping from a kahoot to a block it to a to nearpod and then jumping into class dojo i think it's super important that teachers are aware that technology is there there are lots of, of ways of learning new technology um i have my favorites that, that i like to to watch that when i need to learn about them my favorite tutorials um there's one called charlie's lessons i absolutely love it's helped me so much with moving along with my uh with my technological teaching. But we do also need to be able to step back and remember that it isn't just technology in the classroom. But I think we're going to talk more about this on another episode, aren't we? We are, we are. So just to really, one final point I wanted to touch on, because we did, um, we had a webinar about it recently. It's also the role of social media in the life of a teacher. So I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm an avid user of LinkedIn, but I, I do sort of, I think I go into LinkedIn a few times a day and I see the sort of thing people post. I'm pretty au fait, I think, with what, what's happening on LinkedIn. And from what I can see is a lot of the people that I'm connected to on LinkedIn have something to say and they have ideas to share. And they are, a lot of the time, just really great ideas and, and unique or just their thoughts. And it's it's become a really interesting space for me. And also to hear about stuff, you know, to hear about an event I might be interested in or to hear about or to see a worksheet that someone's just made off the cuff or a new app that perhaps teachers are starting to use. And it's, it's good for sort of sharing and receiving information like that. But with that comes the, the skills that are required to be relatively vocal and not just the skills, but you might you might argue that LinkedIn sort of washes out a lot of people that don't really, who aren't really inclined to communicate in that way. You know, I don't really post that much. I'm not, I'm not an introvert. Far from it, I think. I'm, I'm probably definitely veering into extroverted. But still, I don't, I don't really say very much on there. I'm not really inclined to put my thoughts out there. So I think there are a lot of people that have got these ideas or opinions that should be heard, but aren't. And I suppose yeah. that that's another skill or something that we need to perhaps help teachers with, not we, some someone. Someone needs to help teachers with is if you haven't got those characteristics within you, how can you still be heard? Yeah, because there are so many things that are, are being missed. And I actually saw a great post uh, the other day, and that was it was a shout out to the teachers who aren't on TikTok, the teachers who aren't on YouTube, the teachers who aren't aren't having things recorded. Um, a shout out to those wonderful teachers because they are still wonderful teachers, and they are still having a huge impact on a lot of lives. Um, and I, I go back to the reason I became a teacher. 
was to help people. And I think that at the end of the day is the core. You know, we do want to help people. And if we can help people on a, on a larger scale through LinkedIn, through Instagram, through TikTok, then fantastic. But if we are just a teacher, in inverted commas, to just our students, that is still more than enough. You know, you are still enough if you are still going into your classes and making a difference every day with those students. Don't think because, you know, the teacher in the next room along has got 60,000 followers on TikTok, they're suddenly, you know, more of a, a teacher or they're having, you know, they're doing more. Focus on what you're doing and what you can do for your students. It's so important that we we do remember that teachers are doing this this wonderful job. They're doing this difficult job. They're not being paid enough to do the job at the end of the day. So anybody who's out there who pays teachers, governments out there, pay your teachers more. But they still do it. They still go on. They still go out every day. And um, I go back to the pandemic. I look back at that. Look at the flexibility that teachers had. Suddenly from one day to the next, they've their classroom changed. And I admire teachers so much. Um, I, I, they're just the best people, basically. I agree. What a community, eh? What a gaggle of people. An incredible gaggle. All right, we're going to call it a day there, Harry. Thanks a lot for joining. It's um, been lovely. Cheers, Harry. Appreciate that. Cheers, Hazza. All right, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll see you at the next Advancing Learning Podcast. See you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Advancing Learning Podcast from Macmillan Education. Don't forget to pay macmillanenglish.com a visit for plenty more resources and training for teachers of English, and we'll see you next time.